Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Man, do we have a lot to talk about coming out of week 10 of the National Football League season. It's almost like my really fun trip to Munich is a little bit of an afterthought after Sunday and Monday in the National Football League. But that's what happens. The latest news overtakes uh, what you think at the time is going to be really big news. But I'm glad to be joined as usual by... Uh, my NBC partner, Miles Simmons. And Miles, you're sitting there just watching an incredibly eventful two days the last couple days uh, in the NFL. And and I'll just ask you first some some overall thoughts on what we saw this weekend. Well, it's been nonstop here in Pacific time, basically, from 6.30 a.m., and then, of course, I get up early and do PFT Live with Mike Florio. So that's another early start on Monday. And then the big, big game on Monday night. So, yeah, it, it's been a lot that's gone on. Obviously, you know, with you, Peter, over there in Munich seeing that game. And I'm still perplexed by the fact that that crowd in Germany was singing West Virginia, Mountain Mama, Take Me Home, Country Roads. And it seemed like I'm everybody the knew story. every single word of that song. <laughs> that was that was wild to me. I mean, I'm still kind of waking up over here and got like, you know, wild Sunday morning brain. And like, I'm watching that. I'm like, where is this game actually coming from? That was that was crazy, man. Yeah. That's probably the craziest thing of the weekend. It, it was crazy. It was it. And we're going to get into that in the second half. Let me give you a rundown of what we have. We're going to be joined by Paul Allen, the longtime play by play voice of the Minnesota Vikings about that crazy, wild, bizarre uh, end of game and overtime in, in, in the Minnesota-Buffalo game, obviously in, or in Orchard Park, New York. The Vikings win, stamp themselves as something more than just NFC North runaway champs this year. It looks like they're going to have a real say in who goes to the, NF, uh, goes to the Super Bowl from the NFC. So we'll talk to Paul Allen. And, you know, in the first part of the podcast, we're going to discuss the crazy Monday night game with, look, the NFL picked a bad time to have its worst officiating gaffe of the 2022 season. We're going to discuss that at length. And we're going to hear 
from my friend Merrill Reese, the play-by-play voice of the Eagles for the last thousand years. And you're going to hear the disgust in his voice about the play where Dallas Goddard did not get one of the most obvious calls anybody's ever seen that he should have gotten. But we'll talk about that. And then we'll also discuss uh, sort of the plucky Vikings hanging in there and how exactly it happened that they got the win. We'll go to Paul Allen. And then the back half of the pod, we are going to discuss a lot about the rest of the NFL. I'm going to give you a good chunk of what happened in Munich on my trip there. Then we're going to get into four other topics of the weekend. Justin Fields, probably the best player in football over the last four weeks. Josh Allen, he needs to take the plays that are there and not try to invent very big ones. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about my conversation with Jeff Saturday, the new coach of the Colts, uh, and what exactly happened in Las Vegas, and also the furor surrounding Jeff Saturday, which is still out there, is not going away. We'll get Miles' thoughts on that. And my belief of the Achilles heel that just might doom the Dallas Cowboys season. We'll get to all that in the back end. But Miles, let's start with Monday Night Football. And I must admit that I was asleep at 7.45 Eastern time. I knew nothing until I woke up at about quarter of five Eastern time, looked at my phone and said, how in the world did the Washington Commanders go into Philly and win this game? So I watched the highlights, read a lot about it, And I wrote to some friends at WIP in Philadelphia and said, can you please send us the outraged Merrill Reese? Because I had heard a clip of it. Send send me the outraged Merrill Reese, please. I'd love to use it on the podcast today. So uh, with our uh, thanks to WIP and to Merrill Reese, we're going to play a clip of what happened. And let me set this up first, okay? As you, as you probably know, at the time, the Philadelphia Eagles were trailing Washington 23-21. to 21. We're in the middle of the fourth quarter, about nine minutes to go in the game. And the Eagles have a first and 10 at their own 31. And Jalen Hurts throws a pass to Dallas Goddard over the middle of the field. And I'm going to let you hear what comes next from Merrill Reese, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Philadelphia Eagles. Hurts takes the snap. He swings it out on the far side of the field and running hard up to the 35 has got it. Now Washington running with the football. Are they saying it's a fumble? They're running it into the end zone and the officials are calling it a fumble. It's a touchdown. There is a face mask. He was pulled down by the face mask. How can they miss that? Yanked down by the face mask, and the ball came loose. That should be 15 yards. Because the call was completely missed. That is a disgrace. That is a disgrace. He was yanked down by the face mask, causing the fumble. The officials ought to be ashamed of themselves. (laughs) You know, there's nothing better than hometown announcers 
being outraged because yes. because look, we're watching it at home on TV. We well, I wasn't, but you were. You know, you don't care who wins or loses. I don't care who wins or loses right. these games. <laughs> but Merrill Reese, he really cares, and so I think that just gives you some example of what it was like inside Lincoln Financial Field on Monday night because, and I heard a couple of these clips too, those fans did not let the officiating crew get away with that. They were absolutely cascaded with boos for a good part of the rest of the game. But, but, but Miles, aside from saying how can there not be an official in position either the two judges that are on either side of the line of scrimmage, 53 yards apart, one on uh, the near side, one on the far side, as well as the umpire who uh, is in the backfield and the referee who is in the backfield. One of those four officials had to have, and, and again, obviously they didn't. I'm not, in, I'm not uh, accusing them of, of purposely missing the call, but they missed this call. There should have been one of four sets of eyes should have been able to see that. And in real time, Miles, it was hard to see at first, but then on the replay, it was obvious. Your thoughts on that non-call? Well, I mean, it really, truly, obviously affected the game, right? I mean, especially in that particular situation. And, and the simple fact was the Eagles had not been able to really get anything going offensively throughout that second half. And really, after they had scored in the first half, I mean, it, it just was not something where they could get anything really positive going offensively. And so you're starting to see that. And then you have this really huge turnover. And the fact is, when you miss that call, it changes the outcome of the game. Because instead of it the does. Eagles getting 15 extra yards, they go back and then they don't have the football anymore. Right. So I I don't like it when we see calls that either are made or aren't made, and then they truly affect the outcome of the game. And that's one of those where that really clearly happens. I, I totally understand the disgust that comes from the home radio <laughs> booth there because it's deserved. You know, there's one other call I want to ask you about. And I think Miles, and by the way, before we get off that, I just want to say that Joey Sly was a gigantic part of this win oh, was for Washington. Huge. I mean, you're yeah. on the road, you're kicking on a strange field. You make 58 and 55 yard field goals in a game that really was a five point game, obviously until mm -hmm. the meaningless play at the end, except maybe to betters. And I, I don't really know if it was meaningful to betters or not, but I'm just saying it, that last touchdown at the, at the gun had no relevance uh, in the game. But, but I guess I would, I would just say the one other play that really was, it was just one of those plays that I really didn't love seeing called as an unnecessary roughness, but let me, let me tell you what it was. So uh, the, the, the Washington commanders with a minute 45 to go. Okay. With the Eagles, by the way, having only one timeout left on third and seven for midfield, uh, took a sack. Taylor Heineke took a sack, you know, basically laid down, took a sack. And uh, at that point, 
He got hit, not heavily, but he did get hit by Brandon Graham of the Philadelphia Eagles. And the officials threw a flag called unnecessary roughness. And that, in essence, was the game because the Eagles didn't get it back until there were five seconds left in the game. I am not a fan of calling a game differently in a situation like that versus earlier in the game. But man, when I saw that flag on the replay, when I watched it this morning, I said, man, I don't know if you want that call to be made. I'm not positive that if you make that call with five minutes left in the second quarter. But but just give me your view. How did you see it, Miles? Well, the thing that is tough about it is by the letter of the law, it is a penalty, right? The play was technically over. But when you watch it, I, I and as I was watching it, I'm thinking, okay, the play is dead. Heineke, the right play here is to slide, keep the clock moving, and induce Philadelphia right. to call that last time out, which is what yes. he did. But the way he did it was so weird. I don't think Brandon Graham in 13 years of playing in the NFL may have ever seen a quarterback take a knee instead of slide in that situation. And so it looks like when he does take the knee and that he's maybe about to start getting up. And if you're Brandon Graham, it's like, well, just because somebody goes down doesn't necessarily mean they're down unless they get touched down because it's not like he slid. Yeah. So in that instance, your instinct is to say, I'm a defensive player. I've got to make sure that he actually is down before he gets up right. and maybe throws it and tries to somehow get a first down. And then the game really is over. So I get why Brandon Graham reacted the way he did because it just looked so weird. I, I don't know if he'd ever seen something like that. And if Taylor Heineke had slid, then it would have been obvious. Plays over, plays dead. Quarterback slides, it's done, right? But when you take a knee like that and then you are starting to get back up, it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, you're not in victory formation. What exactly is happening here? I have to make sure that this guy is down. So that's why I... I get why the penalty is called. It is, by the letter of the law, a flag. But based on the situation and the things that happened in it, I also see exactly why Brandon Graham did what he did. Just bothered me because it clearly, first of all, knowing Brandon Graham, uh, and I know him pretty well, uh, I know exactly the way he plays. Uh, he's yeah. a an incredibly honorable player. It's amazing, really, he's lasted in Philadelphia or anybody lasts anywhere for 13 years other than a quarterback. But he's in his True. 13th year. I think he's been a tremendous player uh, for the Eagles. And I just, I, I'll just go on record. I just didn't like this call. I, I just, I, you know, I heard Troy Aikman basically talking on TV, watching the replay. He hated the call and he's a quarterback. But, but be that as it may, I'll, I'll just say one other thing. Just say one other thing. Let's give a lot of credit to the Washington Commanders, okay? Yeah. None of us thought they had any business winning this game. And yes, they got some very nice contributions from the Philadelphia Eagles, <laughs> one of which was, and look, I love Jalen Hurts. I wrote my column on Monday that, you know, he'd be my number one choice for MVP right now. Probably still would. You cannot throw a prayer into center field, uh, you know, for that ended up being an interception into double coverage. You know, his one interception in the game. 
You just can't make that throw. I'm sure he's going to be sick if he hasn't already watched it, but he, when he watches the tape, he'll be sick. That's a huge mistake on his part. But be all that as it may, the Washington Commanders, their quarterback, Taylor Heineke, who I think, I don't know that Ron Rivera has a choice now, that whenever Carson Wentz gets ready to play again, and he'll be ready soon, whenever he gets ready to play again, I'm playing Taylor Heineke. And I, I don't know how you're not playing him, especially after last night. But I just give a lot of credit to a team that, hey, we were shoveling dirt on a month ago. And now they're 5-5. Five and five. Uh, They have played well in the last three weeks. And they're 5-5. Five and five, And who knows what this crazy season brings. But after you knock off an 8-0 team on the road in prime time, I just say, this season's not over for the for the Washington Commanders. Even though they're in a division with three very good teams, who knows? We say the same thing about the AFC East. I mean, all these playoff teams, I don't know what the NFL is going to do. All the playoff games are going to be in the Eastern time zone. I'm just kidding because obviously <laughs> if you're a wild card team, you're, you're playing on the, half of them are playing on the road. Anyway. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know about you, but I just, I, I kind of applaud Washington after that game. Well, you know, Peter, you say that, and then it's really only one game probably who may be in the Pacific time zone if the NFC West uh, team is the four seed because that AFC West team is going to be a game played in Kansas City. Kansas City. So, yeah, so you only have one, you know, past uh, Central time there probably. But, yeah, I mean, I I... I think that, you know, the NFC East right now, the AFC East, those are the divisions that we thought the AFC West was going to be, right? Coming into the season and all the hype and the arms race that came out of the AFC West. And now you play the games and, oh, two of those teams are really bad. You know, one of those teams in the AFC West is okay. And then the team at the top, which everybody was like, I don't know, you know, they lost Tyreek Hill. Oh, by the way, Kansas City right now, if the playoffs started today, they'd have the first round bye in the AFC. So that's one thing, but you look at, you know, what the Washington commanders are able to do with Taylor Heineke. And I'm not necessarily all that surprised by it, just based on the way he plays. You know, Terry McLaurin was on with Scott Van Pelt after that game last night, and he was talking about, you know, the grittiness, you know, that kind of, yeah, that just toughness that I'm not going to give yeah. this up mentality. Uh, that Taylor Heineke plays with. And he wasn't saying anything bad about Carson Wentz. It was mostly just the praise for the quarterback that he'd been playing the last few games with. But I think that there is something there where Washington has been playing a lot differently with Taylor Heineke than they were with Carson Wentz. And I don't, I, I think you're Agreed. right. I mean, I don't, I don't know that Ron Rivera has much of a choice here. You know, I didn't think that the commanders were going to be able to go on a run like this. You know, they were very, very close to beating the Minnesota Vikings last week. So if you have a team now that is five and five, they're still in the thick of it. I don't know why you wouldn't stick with Taylor Heineke the way that he is playing. I just don't know why you wouldn't do it. He has definitely given that team a spark. Um, we're going to spend just two minutes on the Buffalo-Minnesota game, and then I'm going to get to Paul Allen. Uh, the play-by-play voice of the Vikings. But, Miles, here's my one point. And, and just for people, uh, just for, we're not going to give this short shrift, 
because I am going to talk about, we're both going to talk about the Buffalo Bills in the back half of the pod. But, Miles, the one thing that I think this game did, obviously, it's stamped Justin Jefferson as having made one of the all-time catches, a catch that I think will go down in history as better than uh, his former LSU alum buddy, uh, Odell Beckham made, I think, in 2015. Uh, it'll go down better than Beckham's because he had competition for the ball. You know, he had right. he had a safety behind him who had both hands on the ball. So not only did he have to make that catch while going down to earth and surviving the ground, but he also had to steal it from the safety who was behind him. But but we'll we'll get to that. Miles, to me, this was a sea change football game for the Minnesota Vikings mm. because I believe that, as Mike Florio tweeted during the game, hey, look, the Vikings can beat a lot of good teams and they can beat a lot of bad teams, but they can't really beat the great teams. That's what everybody thought. And then all of a sudden, right. two hours later, they're walking off the field in Orchard Park having beaten what I think and what I think is going to prove to be a great team. I think the Buffalo Bills are one of the best teams in football. But what do you take away from the Minnesota Vikings going into Orchard Park and in one of the craziest games uh, we've ever seen? And unfortunately, I didn't see much of it because I was in Munich. But what do you take away from that game about the Minnesota Vikings? Well, I think the Vikings, we have to now consider them as being among the big boys, you know? And I think that part of the reason yeah. why we didn't was because they lost like they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles earlier this season in a game that everybody saw on Monday Night Football. And it's like, okay, well, uh, their record is what their record is. They only have one loss. And yes, it was to the Eagles. But when we saw them play the Eagles, it wasn't really that competitive. So now you get further along in the season. And when you have that and you have a string of wins that you've put together, it changes your mentality, right? And, and Kevin O'Connell is still a first-year head coach. So he's still figuring things out as he goes along. How do people make plays? What are the best things that I can call in the game? How does my defense react to certain situations, right? And everybody starts to know those things. And that win that they got over the Washington Commanders was huge in telling them that they, you know what, even when it looks like we might be out of it, we have the ability to come back. So they already had that belief established. So they can go on the sideline and they can be like, hey guys, we've been here before. You know, we know how to figure things out. And then when you have an elite receiver like Justin Jefferson, where, you know, Kirk Cousins is, uh, they pointed out, you pointed out in the column, you're calling Peter this week saying, hey man, I, I might just throw this up to you, Justin. It's fourth down and it's a really long way. I know you're really good. You're down there somewhere. I'm just going to throw it up. And then he catches it <laughs> in the way that he catches it. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. That's craziness. And that's the kind of thing where you start to believe, all right, things may work out for us here, you know? And even when it looks dire, you know, when you don't get the touchdown on fourth and goal at the goal line, you still have a chance, you know? And they show that and they keep playing and they keep playing and they keep playing. They keep playing into overtime. They have to make the defensive plays. All of that stuff just continues to give you more confidence and belief in what it is that you're doing and what it is that your coaches are preaching. And that's really important too when you have a new staff 
and guys that are trying to make sure that they can get themselves, you know, to that elite level where they can compete for a Super Bowl. And right now, I, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't think of the Eagles and Minnesota as the top two teams in the NFC. And then, you know, you got Kansas City and yeah, the Bills are probably one of the top teams in the AFC. But right now, based on record and based on the standings, that's not quite where they are. So I agree with what you said, especially, and I'm going to get into this with Paul Allen, um, especially that catch and what Justin Jefferson told me after the game. We're going to get into that. Let's go to my conversation with Paul Allen. I've really got a lot of respect for Paul Allen. He is, without any question, a lover of the Minnesota Vikings, and that comes through uh, in his uh, in his play-by-play of their games. But he's also a realist, and he's also able uh, to count them out when he should and to be negative sometimes, or to be real, I should say, when he yeah. should. But here's my conversation with Paul Allen about the resurgent uh, Minnesota Vikings went into Orchard Park and won on Sunday. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy to be joined by the aforementioned Paul Allen, uh, the extremely good, enthusiastic, fun uh, reason why so many Vikings fans do not listen to the television during a football game. They turn it down so that they can hear Paul Allen on KFAN. Now, Paul, I must say there's only one guy I think in the time I've covered the game where a lot of people have told me just that. You know who it is? It's Myron Cope. Wow, Steelers. Yeah, people turn down wow. the network telecast and put the transistors back in the day, the 70s and the 80s, 90s, and listen to Myron Cope because double yoy, he was a heck of a guy to listen to <laughs> on the radio uh, while the game was going on. But a lot of that, really, I've heard that from, from Thank you. more than several Vikings fans. And honestly, that's got to be one of the cool things. That's uh, that's one of the, honestly, one of the greatest compliments that I've gotten in the two decades plus I've called Vikings football. You know, this, uh, this is my first play-by-play job at any level, Peter. And I auditioned for the job and I lost 
But then after a season, I, I, I got the job in 2002. And, you know, through that, the figures like Myron Cope and Merrill Reese, Kevin Harlan kind of taking me under his wing very early in my career, like year two or three. And I didn't know Kevin. I knew of him. And we're at Soldier Field, and, and he's doing a Westwood One game. And, you know, he comes in and introduces himself and lays it out like this. Here's what you have that nobody else has. But I'd like you to think about this. And I was so moved that Kevin Harlan, A, knew who I was, but B, took the time to coach me up like that. Uh, we've been friends ever since. And, you know, with Myron Cope, you mentioned that. And I remember when the Steelers were at Metrodome very early in my career, and, and Myron with, with smoking, you know, no smoking in the Metrodome, Bob Casey yeah. with the Minnesota Twins, uh, he, you know, we would smell it between series. And, and being, being a kid from Washington, D.C., and growing up loving the Baltimore Orioles, I remember when Don Stanhouse used to come in the games and, and Earl Weaver would call him three-pack because, like, he'd have to be at the stairs atop the uh, tunnel of the clubhouse to go through three packs of cigarettes to get through Don Stanhouse. And it's just, I hearkened back to that moment. So God rest the soul of Myron Cope. Oh man. He was one of the all time greats. A little known fact in Peter King history yeah. is that my wife, when she was an, in, before she was my wife, when she was a, a news desk intern at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, they sent her, in, I think it was 1977, uh, during the football season, to do a story on Myron Cope. Hey, go do a story on Myron Cope. He's got this funny new gimmick that he's raising money with. He's got some towel. Go, go, and, go and do a story. The first story ever written by the terrible towel, the first, oh. the first piece of journalism of any kind about the wow. terrible towel was written by my lovely wife. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And That's you, really you cool. being elite reporter and, and now doing a lot of work with TV and radio. I mean, you branched out like you kind of have to in, in this day, yeah. this day and age, you know, you really have a, you have a deeply rooted love for good stories like that. Kind of yeah. like with your most recent piece, um, uh, that, that I was informed about when you were over in Munich for Brady against Pete Carroll and, and to learn how popular badminton is in Denmark and that <laughs> part of the world where here we are in this fishbowl thinking the shield yeah. and the image and, and, and here in Minnesota, football always wins. I mean, 70% of the TVs are on Vikings games. Our radio ratings are massive during games. But then it's a reality check when you recognize yeah. it's not the only thing in the world. And yeah. badminton is uh, markedly yeah, more popular. Yeah, than I, I, I ran thought. into a reporter. There were 22 countries covering the game uh, and the festivities all weekend, 22 different countries. Um, you know, Serbia, Slovakia, Spain. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I met this guy from uh, Denmark. And I said, How popular is the NFL in Denmark? And he goes, you know, it's, it's got its following. It's, it's not team <laughs> handball or badminton, but you know, it's yeah, right. got its following. And then I said to him, do people there know who Tom Brady is? And he goes, <laughs> uh, my girlfriend does. <laughs> wow. Of course she does. He's chiseled beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a great nugget. Hey. All right. So Paul, <clears throat> you've got to tell me you're in Orchard Park, New York on a cold November afternoon. And this is a game that 
by all measure, I think the vast majority of fans thought the Vikings were going to lose. Uh, we're late in the third quarter. Tyler Bass kicks a field goal to make it 27 to 10 yep. Buffalo. And hey, it's just another game that the Minnesota Vikings mm. are not going to prove that they belong with the big boys. Right. What was going through your mind as the game was slipping away there late in the third quarter? Well, my, my mind has had to change because we can go all the way back to we blow out Green Bay week one. Then we play Monday night football against Philadelphia and they handle us. Game evened out in the second half. But I mean, the, the Vikings kind of got killed in that game and Cousins threw three interceptions and everybody got to see it. So in a prisoner of moment society, that's going to be the lasting impression. The next game, we're at home against Detroit. We're down 14 in the second half. And I've been in games at U.S. Bank Stadium where it gets super quiet, we're losing to a bad team, and we don't win the game. When they came back and won that game, the place erupted, and in essence, not only blew the metaphorical roof off U.S. Bank Stadium, kind of blew the top off the culture of how we have to think about this team. So ever since moving forward, no matter who we've played, it's if you lay it out to me like this, you're down 17 points to Josh Allen in the second half at Buffalo against a defense that gives up 14.8 points per game, number one in the NFL. Other than that, Miss Lincoln, how was the play? Well, <laughs> you, can, you can share that with me, but now anything's possible with this team, and they just continue to show it. The crazy thing, you know, and I won't go through the play-by-play, -play, but basically um, you get – Within 27-23, uh, we're now inside the the two-minute warning. Yeah. And there is, obviously, there's a long uh, pass downfield. Mm. And we're going to play this long pass downfield to Justin Jefferson. We're going to play your call, and we're going to come out of that play, and you're going to talk about it. Let's hear your call of one of the best catches any of us will ever see. 27-23 Buffalo. Fourth and 18 for the Vikings from their own 27. Minnesota one of two. Uh, make that two of three on fourth down. Cousins, empty backfield, three receivers right, a couple to the left. The Bills' safeties are 25 yards from the line of scrimmage. Kirk back to pass. He's going to heave one to J.J. to the right. Jefferson leaps to catch it. And he caught it at no the Bills' 40. No what a grab. Are you kidding me with that catch, J.J.? First down, Vikings, to the 41 of the Bills. So for Justin Jefferson, that's going to be a reception of 32 yards, and that's one of oh. the most cold-blooded receptions you're ever going to see in your life. That was, and that was absolutely, could have been. Cam Lewis had it. An interception, and J.J. just can't, oh my heavens. The amazing thing about the play, as I watched it on replay, and keep in mind, I'm in a hotel room in Munich watching the <laughs> end of this game. I missed the vast majority of the game. But so I, I, I didn't see much of, of anything, okay? But what was so impressive about the catch is that not only did he have to make a catch like the old Odell Beckham catch, he had to steal the ball from a guy who had two hands on it while yep. he was coming down and make sure that the ball didn't hit the turf. What did you see? 
uh, we could podcast for 30 minutes just on this play uh, because when you, you now are the newest football immortality type person, and that's what you are. Peter King just said maybe the greatest catch you have ever seen. Patrick Royce, a local columnist for the Star Tribune, he's been around forever. He tweeted, that's the greatest catch I've ever seen. So that just personifies and or defines it right there to put it in context. Secondly, it's super cold. So therefore, to be able to grab that super hard football with one hand and take it from a defender who had it, well, that's a mystery. And that is a revelation unto its own how that happened. Thirdly, Jefferson the kid, all right? Now, Justin wants to catch more TD passes than anybody in the NFL. Uh, up until the previous game at Washington, he hadn't caught a touchdown pass in nearly two months. But what was perfect about that is he didn't complain about it. He didn't make it about him. We've had receivers here before, and everybody else has too, where if they go in a little slump like that and they can't catch TDs, hide the You'll women and it. children. And, and yeah. it, it can splinter what is good. But finally, the fact that Cousins earlier in that game had thrown his second interception it went right to number 30, Dane Jackson, where Kirk on my radio show this week told me on KFAM is he thought Jackson was was a Jefferson. It was a hitch that they had run a million times during the week, and he swore it was Justin. It was a terrible interception. We go to break. I put my binoculars on Kirk, and he's slouching as backup Nick Mullins looks at the surface. And he's, he's I, I don't want to say inconsolable, but he's downtrodden. So where are we going to yeah. go from here? Well, where we went from there was him outshining Josh Allen, who, by the way, is an MVP favorite the minute the schedule comes out for every year, outshining him on third and fourth down and making some of the most cold-blooded throws he's ever made in his life. So yes. he flipped the Cousins narrative or script, even if that's still a thing. That's everything that comes to mind. Okay, so I talked to Jefferson after the game and mm -hmm. I, 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 I asked him, I said, you know, what did, what did Kirk say, if anything to you? And he goes, before we left the huddle, Kirk said to me, Hey, I might just throw this up to you. Yeah. Kirk knew we yeah. just needed to make something happen. End quote. And let me tell you mm -hmm. what I wrote then. That's awesome. He's right. The old cliche among quarterbacks and coaches is, hey, what play you got in the game plan to convert a fourth and 18? None, of course. Yeah. So Cousins, and good for him, just figured he was out on the playground and looked at the best player on the field and said, you and I are going to make something happen. And that's exactly what I did. But, I but see, really, just, just, oh, go ahead. I really was so impressed with what Kirk Cousins did on that play. Okay, well, I believe, Peter, there's serendipity from it, too. The serendipity would be a positive transpiring from a situation. The negative, you don't really want to be in fourth and 18 and the whole thing on the line, and now right. we're in the street. You know, we're drawing things up, and it happens to work. The serendipity is that Kirk putting Justin in 50-50 ball situations. It happened yeah. five, six, seven times in that game, and that's more times than it's happened in the last month, month and a half. So I believe another layer to this redo here with talent. This is still a redo with talent. You know, Peter, and you're going to appreciate this because you're old school. We're running a 3-4 base defense here for the first time in 40 years. 
uh, you know, and uh, that's amazing. So yeah. it's a redo with talent, but it still is a work in progress and, and requires fluidity at times that has not been seen, but we're still winning the games. So now moving forward, if there are 50-50 opportunities with Justin, let's see what Kirk does. Okay. So I want to take you to one of the craziest sequences I think I've ever seen in football. All right. Yeah. Uh, there is the, the, the Vikings are down at the one yard line. There's 57 seconds yep. to go. And Cousins tries to flip out, uh, flip a pass short to the right to Dalvin Cook, incomplete, but wait, Buffalo's outside, offside. So now yeah. that was fourth and one, should have been the game over. Hmm. But now you get half the distance to the goal, which is eight inches, okay? Yeah. And <laughs> now it's going to be fourth and one, 50 seconds to go. Kirk Cousins up the middle. It's very close. I don't think anybody will ever truly know whether that was a touchdown or not, but it was, no, he didn't get not, it. it was ruled not a touchdown on the yeah. field. So it had to be clear and obvious evidence. And obviously yep. I watched the replay. I didn't see clear and obvious evidence that he was in, but now, you know, how in the world can the Vikings have anything left? They have to be just totally, totally down. All right. And now we are going to go to your second call. Hmm. Buffalo Bills with 49 seconds to go. First down at their own one yard line after getting the ball on downs. First down. And I'd say it's first down. Paul, you tell me. The 10 inch line, maybe? Oh, the, 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 I've, I've seen multiple angles of this. The, the nose of the ball was as close to the goal stripe as it possibly could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. So, so here we are. All they have, all Josh Allen has to do is take the snap. They're not going to call a safety if he doesn't obviously lose mm -hmm. yardage. Okay. Yeah. Minnesota's got one timeout left. So all he has to do probably is do this twice. All right. So now 49 one yard to, and the game's over. Yeah. 49 seconds to go. The uh, Buffalo Bills are ahead 27-23. The Minnesota Vikings have just had an absolute gut punch in not getting the ball in. And wow. now their defense goes out on the field. And here's Paul Allen, first and 10 from the 10-inch line, maybe, as the Buffalo Bills try to wrap up this win. Here it is. First down from the goal strike for the Bills. Josh Allen puts Gabe Davis in motion. And Davis is behind Allen. And he tried to push him. He didn't get out of there. He didn't get out. He did not get out. That's a safety. Give it to us. Give us the safety. Look at what's taking so long. Oh, no. Ball came out. Down. Yes, the are Vikings. Are you kidding me? The Vikings are going to win. Are you kidding me? Yes, drop that ball, Josh Allen. That ball came cow Josh they Allen tried to the touchdown through the middle they signal touchdown the ruling on the field is that the quarterback muffed the snap Minnesota dived on the ball in the end zone yes! for a touchdown yes! yes are you kidding me how about that oh my I, I this 
Paul, when it's your year, it's your year. How about your Vikings, Vikings fans? How about that? How about that? Come to Buffalo and beat this team. Are you kidding me with what just happened? Wow. Okay. So, Paul, it took a while to really understand what happened on the play. At first, you thought it was a safety because the ball was in the end zone and Allen had been pushed back. It was hard to see the fumble, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's Highmark Stadium, first of all, is terrific. It's an old school stadium, you know, where there's not a bad seat. The fans love their team. Super rabid. I get so few opportunities to call games there, being in the NFC North. I love that. But the vantage point on the binoculars was all the way down there. By the way, the analyst is Pete Bursich. I've called games with him for 16 years. I'd never want to call games with anybody else the rest of my life. I mean, he, he, he compliments things so beautifully, but anyway. Paul, let's let's just go forward. The only the only English that I heard other than Vikings or Bills on my television in my hotel room while watching this game, watching this crazy game at the end was after Tyler Bass kicked the field goal, then to send it to overtime after obviously, you know, the the Bills take the ball and frenetically go down the field uh, 69 yards in five plays. So now it's yep. going overtime. The only English I heard was this poor announcer in, in Germany screamed, holy moly, uh, <laughs> wow. when that happened. But I, I don't want to play this play, but I want to hear your thoughts about it because we're going to talk about it later on in the podcast. Okay, I am with my partner, Miles Simmons. There's a minute 19 to go. Josh Allen basically takes a chance. Second yeah. and 10, the Minnesota 20. It looks for all the world that at the very least, this is going to end in a tie. But, you know, and maybe Buffalo will win. But then Josh Allen, I thought, made a terrible decision and a risk, such a risky decision, throwing it to Patrick Peterson, who intercepts it in the end zone. And, And so I'm just curious, your thoughts watching that and watching basically Josh Allen twice it once in the fourth quarter, once in overtime, really kind of hand this game, maybe not give the game away. But yeah. Wow. That way it was, it was shocking to see him do that. Well, well, Peter back, back to Allen and the, the botch snap a uh, couple of things there. First of all, I learned a lesson. Uh, I'm never going to say a game is over uh, with Josh yeah. Allen on the other sideline. Okay. Now at the end of the equation, I was right. Uh, the Vikings did win. But I jumped the gun a little bit on that. Secondly, Allen rarely goes under center. So, therefore, it's not like he doesn't know how to do it. Of course he does. He's Josh Allen. His center, Mitch Morse, is one of the best in the NFL. Here's the non-obvious under the radar. Opposite them, Peter, is a nose tackle for the Vikings named Harrison Phillips. And he spent the first four years of his career with the Buffalo Bills opposite Mitch Morris and Josh Allen. And he was a free agent pickup by the Vikings in the offseason. Talked to Harrison a little bit after the game. Well, I don't know how much he got in the heads of Morris and Allen, but he was doing his thing. And, and then all yapping? of a sudden the snap is messed up. Well, say it again. He was yapping? Well, yeah, I think he was yapping. I think he was moving around and jumping around the gaps yeah. and everything. And um, But Harrison, having played with those guys, 
the first four years of his career, I think that mattered um, on the play. And I know Harrison thinks it mattered. Now, when, when you get to, to the end of it, um, Patrick Peterson had two interceptions in the game. I've been around Patrick a couple of years now. You know, and I think it's fair to say, certainly not speaking for Patrick, but when he came out of LSU as a 4-2 guy, had all those punt return touchdowns and everything, um, he's not as fast as he used to be. So then first play of the season, Aaron Rodgers dials up a double move by rookie Christian Watson, uh, the, the North Dakota State University kid. Well, I mean, he left Patrick just uh, absolutely in the wake yeah. of the keen turn of speed, and, and the rookie dropped it. So... Yeah. From that moment to the angles that I see Patrick take and how he undercuts routes where it doesn't look like he's there and he has enough speed and all cunning and guile to suck you into something badly, well, that's what he did there with Josh. And and now, you know, into the game on our pregame show, the analyst Pete Bursage brought up some pertinent Josh Allen stats and facts over his previous six quarters into the game. And in not thinking the elbow is a factor on any of these turnovers or anything, it's he just needs to push through something right now. I mean, Josh is elite, and I love him. And, and, and uh, this is the second time I've gotten a chance to call a Josh Allen game. The first one was a complete disaster. 2018, we're 17 and a half point favorites at home, and it's his first win as a starter. He's out there leaping over Anthony Barr, Matt Milano splashing out of nowhere, and they killed us. Well, it, it, the, the, the tell was on there about how good he was going to be, and he's elite. But, you know, there were some situations nearing the end of the game, like you said, where I bet you he wishes he could have them back. On the other side of it, they had third and 12, third and 15, third and 16 so many times, and he came through cold-blooded every single time. So that plays into the quirky nature of the game, which finally, Peter, you know, you mentioned the timing in overtime. Well, that's because we won the toss and took the ball knowing we were going to go into a 15 to 25 mile per hour win, which, which was pertinent during the game. Well, the Vikings ate up so much time on that possession, settling with the field goal by Greg Joseph. It kind of forced Buffalo to do some different things to get down the field. That plays into it too. Paul, last question for you. Tell me what is the more emotional game for you and do you think for Vikings fans, the 2009 NFC championship game where Brett Favre threw the harebrained interception across his body and the saints go on to win and go to the super bowl or this game, which is one of the great games in the history of the NFL, at least in the history of the regular season. And I wonder you walk out of the stadium you're absolutely totally deflated for the first one. You're walking on air for the second one. Which game do you think is the more emotional? Uh, the more emotional verdict? It's 09. It's not even close. Um, you know, I, I get asked a fair amount. You know, do you have a most memorable game? In the middle there, Peter was the Minneapolis Miracle, which yep. I've known you 15, 16, 17 years through my radio show in the combine, and and you're like clockwork, man. I mean, we get beat in New Orleans. I mean, 15 minutes after the game, you had heard the call. You called me, and and we chatted about it. Minneapolis miracle. We walk off on uh, the Saints. I'm in the locker room. My head's spinning. There's Peter King. All you said was, what'd you say in the call? And then we went on and did a podcast or something like that. And then now this. So 
I thank you very much for that and, and, and paying attention like that. Uh, the, the, the Minneapolis miracle, I mean, that was such a joyous moment, but the 2009 season with Brett Favre, I have so much reverence for that because of his iconic status. And I think I might've had 20, 25 minutes of conversation with him the entire year. I was just a little moved by Brett Favre being on our team. And we run up 525 yards of offense. We give the ball away five times and we lose. And it's the only time after a game where, where I've cried because I see Brett Favre hugging Percy Harvin, Sidney Rice and Adrian Peterson. And they're, they're crying, not like shoulders up wailing, but they're crying. And then I got the confidence up to walk up to, to Brett and say, in my X amount of years of calling football games for this team, you're the greatest football player I've ever come across in my life. And I really hope you come back next year. And then when he put his arm around me, that's when I, that's when I cried. Um, so that right there, that trumps everything. The whole season trumps everything. This was a regular season game. We were underdogs. You know, I'm not one, and I know the players and coaches here really couldn't care less about what the national fan base or media thinks of the 8-1 and one Minnesota Vikings uh, because I know what's happening here. And, and being old school like you, and I'm an old dog that likes new tricks, I heard so many things coming into the season with the regime flip, and much of them were ballyhooed. And with, you know, for everything that was said, so many things in life and or sports live up to the hype, prize fights, games, <clears throat> anything. Well, this is living up to the hype. It and really is. a lot of the things that they're doing around here from the way they treat the practice squad to make them feel included uh, to the, the sports performance and conditioning and, and training. We, the longer the game, the stronger we get every single week. I'm not kidding you. Uh, just to the childlike love that yeah. Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Zadarius Smith, the announcer, the childlike love everybody has for each other. It's, I've never seen anything like it in my career. You know, you know Kirk Cousins as well, if not better than me. That's the last guy in the world to be on a plane wearing chains with no shirt on. And he doesn't <laughs> want the attention yeah. to come to him. So right. the team recognizes that. So they force it on him. In other words, we are going to show you, you are a leader. We accept you and we love you. And we know where all the bones are buried because everybody does but they accept him for who he is. And there's so much of that here. I just love it. I said it twice in the broadcast last game, Peter. I've never said this in my life in the 400, whatever I've called. Pete, I love this team. I just love this team. And I love this team. I, it comes through, Paul, in everything you do. Hey, listen, thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, you know, you're such a, a fun guy to listen to and you're such a great guest and, and I really appreciate you taking time for the conversation. God bless you. Thank you very much for the nice words. Here for you anytime you need. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through... It's true magic, because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. For the world's greatest athletes. 
this is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. At the theater, more than the movies come to life, movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. <laughs> Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Back on the Peter King podcast, uh, presented by Salesforce. So, in the next section of our podcast, we're going to hit on five topics and I'm going to start with my experience in Munich and to first tell you that, look, I recorded a, a roundtable discussion with two former NFL players uh, from Germany, Sebastian Vollmer and Marcus Kuhn, uh, and also three fans. You're going to hear that in one of the next several weeks and I'm sorry that I'm not going to use it this week because I just thought that the Buffalo-Minnesota game was just too big, and I needed to give enough respect and airtime to events in that game. But you will hear from my uh, German roundtable and about sort of the excitement of football in Germany. But there's two points I wanted to make about my time in Germany. Number one is that, you know, since I got back on Monday night, you know, a bunch of people texted or a couple of phone calls. Hey, what'd you think? What'd you think of, of football over there? What'd you think of Germany? And, you know, and I said the, the same thing. I said, in many ways, this was, Pete Carroll told me the other day, he said, this feels like a bowl game. Hmm. I'm just telling you, this felt not as big as a Super Bowl, but almost as big as anything else in the NFL. And the reason is, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, this, this country has been waiting for a real football game for a long, long time. And not only did they get a real football game, they got a good one, a really good one. And the winner was Tom Brady. So America exported the best that it has to offer. And Tom Brady was, uh, you know, at the center of it. It's amazing. I, I, I interviewed Brady for NBC for Football Night in America after the game. And he walks over and he goes, wasn't that incredible? You know, he was just, he was like shaking his head. He couldn't believe what, what a day it was. And, and the, everything around Brady, you had seven players from Bayern München, you know, the best team in the Bundesliga, the, the major league soccer. They were waiting you know, to meet with Brady after the game. And you could tell they were all like, wow, we're meeting Tom Brady. And so they, it just was, these guys are going to be playing in the World Cup in a couple of weeks, <laughs> you know, but, and so everybody excited about Brady and about the game. But I want to tell you about sort of the ambiance, both in the city and in the game. 
you know, I I wrote a little bit about this in my story, and I also talked about it in a little stand-up I did there, but it was absolutely amazing. Standing in a, a very famous square in Munich called Odeon's Plots, and realizing that, you know, when I was standing there, I was listening to a podcast tour of downtown Munich. And so, you know, I was looking here, and all of a sudden they say, basically, this is where Adolf Hitler made a huge speech, and this is where wow. he had the coup in 1923 to try to overthrow the German government. Wow. And I look up, and just as that's happening, you have Seattle fans on the steps, right where he made some of his biggest speeches, right there, they're saying, see Hawks, see Hawks. Wow. And you look out, and there are 32 helmets, oversized helmets, in the square that the NFL has put there. There's an NFL shop there. And, and I just said, look, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but man, the juxtaposition was one of the weirdest things. I'm listening to this podcast talking about Adolf Hitler, and I'm looking out, and all these people from all over the world are overjoyed to have the NFL in Munich. That was one part. But inside the stadium, two minutes left in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden, I hear uh, the song. Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver. And so they'd been playing music, you know, rap and pop and all that through the game, before the game, and I got it. And I'm saying to myself, why are they playing John Denver? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is a song from what, the 70s? The 80s? What? We're in Germany. They're playing a song about West Virginia and the Shenandoah River, and all this. And I said, what are they doing? And then you hear the crowd. They're in a TV timeout on the field. And you hear the crowd. Every, I look around because in Germany, in the press box, there is no press box. You're out in the stands with the people. You're, yeah. you're sitting there. You've got a little table. But the fans, are they're drinking right in front of you. you know. <laughs> and it was great. It was really, really cool to be out there. But I look around and... I'm telling you, everybody is singing this song. Everybody. So, and and I look down on the field, and there's Bruce Irvin, West Virginia University uh, alum, and he's on the field. Now, his Seattle Seahawks are about to lose this game. And Bruce Irvin is downstairs, is down on the field during a TV timeout. The rest of his teammates are in the huddle, and he's down there dancing to take me home country roads. And I'm thinking to myself, of course he would, because this had to be played at West Virginia football games or, yeah. you know, everywhere in West Virginia when he was a student and a football player there. But I just thought that was fabulous. So anyway, Miles, before we were talking about this and, and you said, man, what, what are they doing playing that song? Which is what I thought. So I had met some fans <clears throat> at this round table I did. And after the game, I called one of them, called my friend Max, who's written a book about the Seattle Seahawks. He gave it to me. It's in German. Probably wow. I'm not going to be able to read it. But uh, anyway, I said, what, what is up? And he goes, oh, that's party music here. Everybody knows country roads. We all know the words <laughs> by heart because the, some of these American songs that you hear like Sweet Caroline was also played. Brady told me it felt yeah. like I was at a Red Sox game. 
listening to Sweet Caroline. Yeah. But everything that Max said was, oh yeah, I've known the words of that song forever. And so that, ladies and gentlemen, is why. He goes, yeah, that song is played at weddings. That, that song is played all the time. And it's a great sing-song song that everybody in Germany knows. So you learn something every day from the Peter King podcast presented by Salesforce. So Miles, I'm, I really want to ask you, did you honestly get up at 6.30 in California Sunday morning to watch the game in Germany? I, I did. I was awake. I, I think I was up at probably 6.15, but I rolled over, grabbed my remote, turned on the TV, caught the last couple minutes of the pregame show. Yeah, I, I was up and I watched all of it. Now, did I also put it on my iPad as I worked out a little bit? Yes, I did. But I, I got my workout in and I watched all of the games. So uh, it was I mean, it was a good game to watch. I don't really understand why they had to throw a play for a uh, 45-year-old Tom Brady. I think that one should be removed from the playbook, even if you are going to have him out yeah, there as a decoy. Yeah. Just let him be a decoy. You know, yeah, Peter, I'll tell you, that was the first thing I thought when they ran that direct snap to Leonard Fournette was, please do not try to do something off of this where you throw to Tom Brady. And lo and behold, they did it. Right, remove that from the playbook. Do you want to know the story, Miles? You, I would love to There's probably people, I, I didn't write about this, but I know the story. <clears throat> so <Yes. clears throat> when that play was called at first, you know, this, this play was called twice. And on the first play, Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, notices nobody covered Tom Brady. He was just standing out there. So a little bit later, he calls the play, and obviously he tells Leonard Fournette, hey, watch out for Brady. They didn't cover him last time. The only problem is this time Tariq Woolen, candidate for defensive rookie of the year, um, backpedaled with Brady, was there with Brady. And look, who knows what would have happened if Brady didn't slip and fall. Uh, maybe he would have been able to break it up. I don't know. But on that play, uh, almost you could tell that, um, you know, when the play was called, he had it in his head. Okay, I'm going to throw the ball to Tom Brady yes. because he's going to yes. be open. And he wasn't yes. open. Ball no. still gets thrown, so it gets intercepted. But obviously what should have happened is he should have thrown it the first time. They didn't. So that is kind of the story of what happened. But I, I'll just say one other thing about this football game, okay? And that is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have enough to contend even mm -hmm. though they're only five and five i think we all presume they're probably going to win the nfc south we don't know that but they're playing well enough but what i saw on sunday was the team that tampa bay was a year ago when mm -hmm. maybe they weren't as explosive as in their super bowl year down the stretch but they were very competent offensively and in this game, they finally give the ball to Rashad White uh, a lot. You know, he rushes for 105 yards. He's a nobody, uh, a no-name rookie from Arizona State. He gets his shot. But as Brady told me after the game, he goes, it's just a different game when you can have play action and the defense believes it. You yep. know, believes that you actually might hand it off. And they have to respect 
when you hand it off, okay? And so that, to me, is the most interesting thing in a football sense that comes out of it. Not whether Julio Jones can stay healthy. I doubt he can uh, and because he was a factor in this game for Tampa. But yeah. it's very, very interesting to note that really the best time all year that Tampa Bay ran the ball, they beat a team that I think most people think is probably better than they are, but they beat them because they could run for 160 yards. Yes, exactly. You ha you have to have at least the threat of a run game in order for play action yeah. to be effective. You know, and you I like Briggs said, you have to believe that that is possible. So yeah, now that the Buccaneers can run the football, that makes them better. And I mean, I know Tom Brady is still in great shape and you got pliability and all these different things, but I still don't think that it behooves the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to have him leading the league in attempts. If you just pull right. that back a little bit, absolutely, you have White running the ball the way that he did. Oh, you mix Leonard Fournette in there; he can still be effective. But you have to be able to do those kinds of things in order for the Bucks to be the best version of themselves. And so, I like the way that they played that game against the Seattle Seahawks. They can keep that kind of thing going after their bye. Then, yeah, they they should be able to win the NFC South, even though, you know, you had Arthur Smith yesterday actually saying the P word and saying, you know, we're in the playoff chase. So why are we going to switch quarterbacks? I don't know that that's really something that we believe Arthur Smith. I'm sorry. Well, who knows? They're only one game behind. And even though they don't have <laughs> the tiebreaker advantage, you know, we'll see. Okay. Miles, we've got six minutes left on the pod and we are going to get to four topics 90 seconds each, and I'm putting you on the clock. Okay. I'm going to introduce a topic. I'm going to give you give my quick thought, and then I want your thought. Okay, so here we go. Justin Fields, the best player it. in football over the last month. I give tremendous credit to Matt Eberflus, the head coach, for empowering his offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, to change how he wants to play offense. He wants his quarterback to be mostly a pocket guy. But if you have a guy who, in the last two weeks, as it turns out, has had two of the best 15 rushing days in football this year, you have got to use that to your advantage, and they have. Your thoughts? After that Thursday night game that they played, they dramatically shifted that offense so that Justin Fields is the center of it as a runner. And that's what they need to do, right? We know that Justin Fields can pass the ball as well. And he showed, he showed flashes of that. Now they've got to get wins, but right now you see what they can build upon. And it kind of reminds me of what Nick Sirianni was doing last year with Jalen hurts and that offense and how they started to shift yeah. things around and become more of a running, even team. more so if that's here, the way yeah, you have but, to win. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If that's the way you have to win or set yourself up to be the best team that you can be, that's what you should do. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I give tremendous credit to Eberflus and Getze for the way that they've changed things to make it Justin Fields the centerpiece of that offense in the way that he now is. Next topic. Josh Allen has to stop being Superman. Mm -hmm. This is the second week in a row in a tight football game that he tried to do too much. And I don't mean by running the ball. I mean trying to squeeze a pass into, uh, into a narrow space, okay? And the game on Sunday in overtime at home, the reason why this 
really bothers me, the second interception of Patrick Peterson, the reason why the second one really bothers me is I watched that play on replay five times Sunday night in my hotel room in Munich. And I watch it over and over and I said, he doesn't have anybody even close to being able to make that catch. Why would you throw that ball? And I think I saw a clip of Josh Allen after the game in his press conference. I mean, he was despondent. He knew that he screwed this game up. But I, you saw more of the game than I did, Miles. Your thoughts on the Bills right now. All of a sudden, the flawed Buffalo Bills. Yeah, the, you just can't be so reckless if you're Josh Allen. And I think he knows that. You know, the, the thing about the Bills, though, they're okay. Everything is still in front of them. Now, they may not get the yeah. number one seed anymore if, if Kansas City doesn't lose another game. But that doesn't mean you can't continue this this season and end it the way you want it to. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to slay the dragon in their place. Right? It doesn't it shouldn't bother the Bills. They know that they can compete at Arrowhead. They know they can win at Arrowhead. They just haven't done it in the postseason. So that's going to be fine. But right now, if you are Buffalo, you just need to say, OK, let's take a step back. Let's calm down. Yeah. We're OK. You know, we have everything we need right here. But. We just have to make sure that we're making the plays that are there and not trying to do too much. You know, make the layups. It's something Chris Ballard said about Carson Wentz. And sometimes for Josh Allen, it's the same sort of deal. Make the layup, man. You know, if somebody's open underneath, do that, and let's keep the ball moving down the field instead of trying to make the big, big, big play. We don't always need to do that. We've got enough talented guys, you know, in that locker room that can make plays. So I, I, I think it's just a matter of, toning down that recklessness a little bit with Josh Allen because he is one of the elite players in the game. Topic number three, the back end of the podcast. Jeff Saturday won his first game on Sunday. And one of the reasons why it's so interesting is that so many of the things that had been said, I talked to Saturday while he was on his on the bus um, you know, life is crazy sometimes. He's on a bus uh, on a road in Las Vegas, Nevada. I am in Munich in a hotel room at, I don't know, whatever it was, two o'clock in the morning, my time at that time. And I got Jeff Saturday on the, on, the, on the phone. And one of the things I said to him is that, do you know that Bill Cower said that your promotion to the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts without ever coaching a day in college and pro football was a disgrace to the coaching profession. And I, I asked him for his reaction and he said, I respect his opinion, but here's the thing. God is my defender. I don't have to defend myself. I'm absolutely comfortable who I am. I respect all those guys. Whoever has whatever negative opinion they have, I can assure you it's not gonna change who I am or what I believe I'm called to do. And that, to me, has been impressive about Jeff Saturday. Winning this game was impressive. Winning a replay challenge <laughs> was impressive. Yeah. A lot of the things happened. But I wonder, in a larger sense, not just about this game, what you think about the process, Miles? And what did you think about, basically, about Saturday getting this job and and what it says about a lot of things, really. 
Well, I, I didn't love the process. I mean, I, I, I have a hard time thinking that, you know, somebody who's an analyst on television, despite being a franchise legend, you know, who's had the opportunity to be on the coaching staff before, you know, just walks in the building and you're the interim head coach. I, I, frankly, I would look at that a little funny. I, I just would. And, but I don't think that that changes the outcome, right? When it is that Jeff Saturday can go in there. And the thing I think that he did best was he was just trying to empower everybody else, bring a little more juice to the proceedings. And because you can't, take over everything and change scheme and do this and do that. Like that's right. not possible to do within a week. So I, I, I give him credit for the way that he kept the team together. You know, you look at the, some of the quotes that were coming out of there, the fact that he was empowered enough to make the switch back to Matt Ryan as starting quarterback. That was a very, very good move. And it obviously was one of the biggest factors in them winning that game against the Las Vegas Raiders. So I don't know. I, I didn't love the process. The result for one week at least is very good. Although I'll tell you, I yeah. said the entire week that if there's any team that will lose to Jeff Saturday's Colts, it would be the Las Vegas Raiders. Lo and behold, they <laughs> did it. And then Mark Davis yesterday is talking about Rome wasn't built in a day. And, you know, Josh McDaniels is doing a fantastic job. And I don't know, Peter, but I, did we have a fever dream and hallucinate that the Raiders were in the playoffs last year? Because now they're two and seven. So I don't know what he's doing a fantastic job at. Yeah, that fantastic job. You know, it's fine to say Rome wasn't built in the day. We're giving him a chance. It's just not. Why do you tell Come your on. fans our coach is doing a fantastic job? There's not a soul. I don't know. In the Las Vegas Raiders is doing a fantastic job. When you're two and seven, your Derek team Carr's crying is two and at seven. the podium. Yes. Yeah. yeah Derek Carr's yeah, crying yeah, at the podium, and we're talking about you know yeah. he's doing a fantastic job. What are we talking about? Yeah. Don't, like yeah. <laughs> urine is falling from the sky is not rain. All right. Like give me a break. I don't know. That that really yeah. bugged me. Okay, we're gonna end the pod on a down note because we're gonna talk about the Dallas Cowboys. And look, all teams can lose a game on the road to a team that has everything in the world to play for. Dallas went into Green Bay, blew a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. Mike McCarthy wanted, lost a game he desperately, desperately wanted to win. He has not been on the field at Lambeau Field since the day he was fired. So that was a big game for Mike McCarthy. Yeah. But you know what? Sometimes you can't always get what you want. And I'll tell you why. I'm not really bothered all that much by their offense, even though I don't like Dak Prescott, you know, everything being on his shoulders, which so much of it was in that game. I'll tell you exactly what bothers me. This is exactly it. 39 carries for the Green Bay Packers, 207 rushing yards. If that game was an island, fine. A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones... A beefy offensive line. I get it, okay? That game is not an outlier. Previous week against the Chicago Bears and that great running quarterback, Justin Fields, uh, 43 carries, 240 rushing yards. 240. In the last four weeks, the Dallas Cowboys have given up 700 rushing yards. And I'm just saying that when you give up 700 rushing yards in four weeks and you're giving up five yards per rush, 
the house is on fire and Dan Quinn better have a pretty big fire hose because I heard Dan Quinn talk Monday very confidently about being able to uh, stop the run. With who, Dan? I, I mean, <laughs> I assume you're playing your best players. What in the world is going on here? So my whole thing about the Cowboys, I like them. They're a good to very good NFL team, but they are going nowhere in the playoffs until they figure this out. Well, it's also the teams in their division that they've got to worry about, right? I mean, what do the Giants want to do but run the ball right at you with Saquon Barkley, you know, how do Eagles, how do the Eagles attack teams, right? Yeah. They, they have Miles Sanders. They have Miles Sanders, Saquon Barkley. And even what you're right. right, Even Washington, you look at Washington. Yeah. They got two Mm -hmm. tough backs. Yes, exactly. So, So, uh, you know, you, if you can't stop the run in that division, then that could be a problem for them in not just January football, but also December football. Right, so you have to be able to make that uh, a priority and get that run defense fixed because it will absolutely down them if they can't stop the run in their division. So the podcast is over now, but I'm going to give one final thought that I thought about when I was high over the Atlantic Ocean on Monday flying back. I just thought to myself, who would have ever thought on draft day 2021 that the Chicago Bears, just a year and a half later, would not trade Justin Fields for Trevor Lawrence. That is one heck of a thought. And that's how we're going to go out of the podcast this week. So in the fascinating world of the National Football League, we've tried to give you a few things to think about uh, in the last 50 minutes or so, probably a little bit longer than that, because I got a little windy. But... Peter King podcast presented by Salesforce appreciates you uh, watching, listening to this episode, and we'll be back next week, the week before Thanksgiving. It's already verging on Thanksgiving, and we will give you a good podcast next week to listen to. So while you're sitting in the airport waiting for a flight that you fear will be canceled, you can just cast all your fears and anger and all your issues away. Because you will listen to the Peter King podcast presented by Salesforce with the wisdom of Miles Simmons and Peter King. So we'll see you next week.